0: hello everyone welcome welcome once again to a reason for hope we're glad you're joining us out there reason for hope in case it's your first time is uh, an hour-long live broadcast which is guided by your questions on the bible and today it will be all about your questions on the bible pastor scott isn't here to give us a prophecy update so you can send your questions in to us a question on the bible and we are happy to uh, dig into the word to find the answers to those questions so it could be a verse or passage of scripture that uh, you're not sure what it means or how maybe it applies to your life maybe something you're going through you'd like a biblical perspective maybe christianity as a whole maybe even other religions and uh, world views how they compare to uh, christianity anything along those lines as long as it's an honest sincere question we're more than happy to find the answers to those questions for you. So we're very glad you join us. You can send in your question through multiple online platforms, which I'll be going over in just a moment. My name's Dave Robson, I'm your host today. I'll be fielding all those questions as they come on in with us today, because it's a Tuesday. We have Pastor Bo Ouellette with us. How you doing? Hey, good, how are you? Good. I looked all serious for a second. You did look serious for yeah. a second. First time <laughs> I've ever seen you serious, I
1: think. Oh, well, it's good to be here, Tuesday, yeah.
0: already. It's a Tuesday, I know, it's, it whips around the older I get. I don't know where the time goes. Thank you for being with us. Also with us, Pastor Sean Richards. How are you doing over there? Hydrated. That's good. I'm glad. Me too. Me too. We're all prepared. We're in it for the long haul. That's
1: right. It's going to be a 10-hour show.
0: That's right. Yeah, stick with us. It'll be wonderful. Well, as I mentioned, Reason of Hope. It's a live broadcast Monday through Friday. We're with you live uh, 5 to 6 p.m. here, Mountain Standard Time in uh, Tucson, Arizona It's a ministry and outreach of Calvary Christian Fellowship here in Tucson. So if you're in the Tucson area and you're looking for somewhere to, to worship, but looking for a church to attend, we're right near Prince and I-10 on the west side of the freeway, about a block north from, uh, from uh, the Prince exit right there in the business park. So you're welcome to come along and check us out. You can go to calvarychristianfellowship.com, get some more information there, or you can send us a question as well if you have a question about it during the broadcast here check out our website we have lots of uh, events and bible studies and support groups and uh, all that kind of stuff going on but for the purposes of tonight that watch live tab if you click on that it'll take you to our live page or the direct link is ccftucson.online.church you can type that right into your browser ccftucson.online.church will take you right there anytime we're live we stream to that page when we're offline you'll see a countdown to our next event you'll see a schedule of upcoming events as well Um, but as we are live right now you'll see the video you can sign in with a username and uh, there's a chat function where you can send in your question and I'll be right there with you as well receiving your questions as they come on in we're live on Facebook as well facebook.com slash CCF Tucson or just look for Calvary Christian Fellowship search for that on Facebook you can send in your question through the chat function attached to the live video there don't forget to like and share we'd appreciate that pass on the love that'd be great we have an app for your mobile device as well Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson in your app store and you can download our app and watch us on your mobile device and we have a channel on Roku as well and on Apple TV so go to your channel store add us as a channel and you can watch us on your big screen as well we are live on YouTube A Reason for Hope is the name of the channel so just give a search for A Reason for Hope on YouTube and you can watch us there we are live there as we speak Um, It's a great place for archive as well. If you go to that uh, live tab, anytime we've been live, it will archive there automatically so you can catch up on shows that you missed or recap a a question if you want to um, go over it again for your own study or for any reason. It's a great archive resource for you there. Don't forget to like and subscribe. And if you'd like a notification when we're live, you click on that notification bell and you'll be prompted so you won't have to miss anything. Our senior pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship, Scott Richards is on Twitter. If you'd like to follow along with him, Scott R4H is his handle. Uh, he gives a lot of updates on things going on in the world right now in Israel, and the Middle East, um, all that uh, happening uh, specifically as it relates to uh, uh, end times, Bible prophecy and that kind of thing. So if that's something that interests you, which it certainly should, um, then you can follow along with him on Twitter. That's probably the most um, direct updates that he puts, that he posts, Scott R4H on Twitter. We're on Rumble as well, not live on Rumble, but we post the video content there, a reason for hope Bible q and And our email address, questionsforhope at gmail.com, questionsforhope spelled out at gmail.com is our email. You're welcome to send us a question there as well. If you're listening to us on the radio, keep in mind that we are not live on the radio. You're listening to the last show that we did Pre-recorded, but we're glad that you are joining us. Drive safely if you're on your drive time, and once again, that email address: questionsforhope at gmail.com If you'd like to shoot us an email with a question, we can uh, get to those as well on our next show. Well, with all that being said, we're glad you're joining us. Or so whatever platform you're on, it's good to know uh, the other platforms in case something technical happens. And of course, our website calvarychristianfellowship.com is a good home base for you. We have the most amount of control over that of course you know the other social media platforms are not our deal and you may be someone that uh, boycotts social media i don't know so calvarychristianfellowship.com is a good home base for you but uh, so once again send your questions in get them in early the whole show today will be dedicated to your questions we have a few lined up and then we'd love to get to your question as well so why don't we pause to pray bo would you like to pray for us yeah absolutely that'd be great let's Thanks. do it
1: father we thank you so much for our time together uh, on the show, we pray uh, that you would speak through us, that our words would be grace seasoned with salt, uh, that, Father, uh, you would be honored and blessed uh, in everything we do. Uh, be with all the listeners, <coughs> pray for them um, wherever they, uh, they find themselves today, and that uh, may you speak to them uh, through uh, this time. In Jesus' name, mm-hmm. amen.
0: Amen. That is true. Amen to that. Well, question from Ken to kick us off. Uh, what is the idea of casting lots in the Bible? Uh, Joshua eighteen six through ten was the verse referred mm-hmm. to. Casting lots. What is the idea of that? Yeah,
2: um, for those who aren't familiar, the ancient term would be just like us, kind of drawing straws or rolling a dice or picking numbers out of a hat. Basically, any sort of game or system of chance where it would leave to whoever uh, kind of decision or opportunity. So when we see, for example, before getting into the instance of Joshua, we go to the book of Luke chapter one, where it was determined by lot to Zacharias, the eventual father of John the Baptist, that he would have this responsibility in the temple. What you have are essentially a continuation of a trend. When people had all equally good opportunities before them, and there wasn't a clear direct or audible direction as far as where this person was specifically to go then there wasn't anything wrong with saying okay who's going to do this who's going to do that even in the choosing of the 12th apostle to replace judas there were two people who were fully qualified for the position uh barnabas of course being the one that was or uh barabbas who was um what was his name
1: yeah. Um, Matthias. He, uh, he had his nickname. Well, um, yeah. He
2: had all the qualifications being from the time of Jesus' resurrection to the time of John the Baptist baptism, not necessarily in that order. And they fell by lot to Matthias. So the idea is if you have equally valid options, then they would basically decide that through whatever system of chance they would give. If a priest were to be given a responsibility, then they'd decide who would have which job at which time based off of who was just available and who got the quote unquote lucky straw. Now people will take this and think that's how everything was decided in scripture and nothing could be further from the truth. When it notes that they buy lot or they cast lots and determine something. That wasn't how they held legal briefs, that wasn't how they decided books of the Bible. That wasn't even necessarily how they determined something being at God's will. If they had an opportunity to do something that was secondary, then they'd leave it up to chance because there was an underlying assumption of something called Providence that God's hand is in everything. So if he wants this specific person to do something, then him by drawing that straw Will of course be the one that he intends, but it would be in inconsequential matters So then going to the book of Joshua when they were casting lots and figuring out whose land was allocated to who it was essentially an understanding look you fought for these territories Y'all got a nice little neighborhood Well, not really, but uh, you got a neighborhood to work with here, so who's going to get what? And they would determine that through these games of chance, saying, okay, who's going to get the uh, Mountain View and stuff? Oh, man, Caleb, you lucky dog. That kind of mindset. That's what's meant by casting lots. And if you note the consistent trend of those things in the Bible, it would be on equally good opportunities and finding out who would just get the chance to do so, because it was literally that chance.
1: Yeah, and I love what you're saying, Sean, and I love how you brought up the book of Acts with the casting of lots for that twelfth apostle in the book of, uh, that's Acts chapter 1, Um, and and because that's the last mention of the uh, term lots in the Bible, and that's, I think, very significant uh, in, in where it's at in the Bible. It's in Acts chapter 1 in the very last verse, then they cast lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, so he was added to the 11th Uh, apostles and then right after that chapter two comes of the giving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and from here on you don't see casting lots um, anywhere being practiced in the churches so when a church situation comes up you don't see a casting of lots in that kind of set of circumstances Um, and that's why because we have the Word of God we have the Holy Spirit we have, uh, of course, a way to commune with God in prayer. And um, so you just don't see casting of lots. It definitely was used in the Old Testament for those areas of land. Uh, sometimes it's used in the uh, kind of priesthood of Israel, uh, kind of uh, deciding who's going to do what, um, things like that. Um, and, uh, and, um, and so you don't see it. Uh, I think you use the word like, consequential or inconsequential inconc- yeah. yeah it's not it's not such a you know wasn't used in i would say giant situation hey let's cast a lot you know but at times you know you do see that kind of thing um and uh it just uh like sean was saying it, it was a way to decipher the will of god um when they were unsure or um and uh the lord said hey cast a lot so they did and uh uh, so nothing's wrong with it. We just don't see it today used in the New Testament. We don't see it uh, anything in the churches where they're casting lots. So right. obviously we don't do that today.
0: Yeah. So rather we, I mean, obviously we have the Word. Yep. And we have the Holy Spirit.
1: Right. You see that in Acts 2, right after the casting of lots in Acts 1. Yeah. So that's what I find fascinating is, you know, when the Holy Spirit comes, you just don't see this kind of casting of lots take place. Right. Hey, Paul doesn't say, like, where do I go now? You know, oh, well, I think I'm going to cast lots. Oh, okay, yeah. I'm going over here. Right, right, you know, Right. it's we prayed and yeah. the Spirit told us, go over there. Right. And so you have a real call of God, uh, the work of the Holy Spirit in us as believers yeah. uh, moving us.
0: Yeah. We live in a very privileged time in that sense, right? Right. Even more so than... Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess it was the prophets that had that privilege of the Spirit communion coming with upon God. Them. Right now, yeah. we you know God's just living in us, and we take that for granted. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're spoilt, spoilt yeah. little brats. Yeah, speaking that, of myself, yeah, that's right. And, and
1: in our Bible study, you know, you'll come up with uh, what we call different dispensations or different ages or times where God is moving in different ways in these different times, and right. we live in a time where God indwells the believer. Yeah. Um, which is pretty awesome.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Mind-blowing. Uh, great. Well, Ken, thank you for that, that question. hope that helps you out. I have a question from Katie, which came on paper to our little box that we have here at Calvary Christian Fellowship. Um, the question is, uh, young earth or new earth? Oh, uh, Sorry, young earth or old earth, I should say. Young earth or, or old earth? Now, maybe you can explain <laughs> what that is, what the debate is.
2: Yeah, um, it's basically the belief that if the earth is supposedly millions and billions of years old, then why does the introduction and creation of it in Genesis present it in a very rapid, and a very direct and purposeful way and the six literal days we read in Genesis chapters 1 and 2? And then the other side of the argument, the... Uh, Older theory is that if modern science is determining things like the speed of light being a constant and distant starlight being able to reach us, how could light have traveled these insane amount of distances if it literally takes this many light years, the distance light needs to travel within a year to reach us, uh, we'd see nothing but black skies if these distances were legitimate and no other factors were involved there, hint, hint. And so when we ask the question, okay, so if there's starlight, if there are these signs of rapid and gradual, both for and and, if they look at elements and see there's this wide variety of decay and production of certain elements on the world, and you see them in a state of decay where they scientifically determine, and this is just to make it simple, uh, a lot older than the narratives in Genesis would tell us, then do we take reality This is how it's phrased, as an authority over the Bible or the Bible in authority over reality. And the argument, I think, ends up, I think, speaking too much, first of all, on an issue that can be reconciled. But when we talk about this issue of young earth versus old earth, we want to avoid two pitfalls. First, sloganeering like i mentioned when people say well i believe the facts i believe the science you want to believe in that book of ancient superstitious fairy tales or if you're in the position of old earth creationism you can call yourself a christian but believe in a earth that is millions and billions of years old but do so in a way where you basically just say oh well genesis is poetic or something it's asking the question okay Am I siding with science? Am I siding with scientists? Am I jumping the gun on information that doesn't have all the variables? Am I considering myself an authority over scripture? Am I considering Jesus an ignorant, superstitious old fool? am Am I treating the Bible as if it's, you know, Understood in plain language and on and on it goes. We want to avoid these kind of exchanges and hashing out of sloganeering because that never is talking to people that's talking at people and if you've ever been on the receiving end of someone talking at you not to you, you know how disrespectful it can seem and how unproductive it ends up leaving things. So avoid that. The second problem with this is, as I mentioned in some of those slogans, it summarizes a lot more complicated issues than people give it credit for, and it ultimately needs to come down to who your authority is. When the Bible is putting forward information for us, do you take it as an authority, or do you try to harmonize it with your actual authority, which is the discoveries of modern scientists? Now, that sounds like a no-brainer. Well, if these people are observing reality objectively, if these people are observing reality objectively, then obviously what the Bible says, if it's true, is going to fall in line with that. So it's not as if I'm, you know, determining them as an authority over their Bible. I'm just letting the Bible line up with what's obviously true. But I repeated and paused on that point because it's not a given. Scientists have to follow the same thing that publishers and journalists do on a daily basis, and that's publish, produce, or die. And if they're put in a position where the Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? The zeitgeist, the spirit of the age, is pushing forward a theory called naturalism, which is the belief that there are no supernatural elements, that everything can be explained through natural phenomenon and process. Then you're running into a person who is not only completely eliminated the idea of God, but is reading the world through a lens where only things that we can see are the things that exist, except for, of course, the logic that determined that is true. It's obviously an incoherent position, but that hasn't stopped major universities from teaching it. See also gender theory. So when we're talking to people about this issue, even fellow believers, the debate stands or falls on, okay, if we have all the information... If we have very objective and reasonable and rational and intelligent people putting together all the numbers for us, then obviously the best place to go is to start asking questions, not just take for granted the fact that these are the status quo. Because, again, Bo, you're not uh, too much older than I am, but you were around when the education system determined the earth was a settled science,
1: hundreds of millions of years old, right? I think in my uh, I think when I was a kid it was like four or five billion years old
2: as opposed to today where it has for some reason skyrocketed up to 12 to 15 amazing now, either you're six billion <laughs> and it wasn't years that long old,
0: ago you went to school right <laughs> yeah it's not six billion <laughs>
2: years old right so if on the other hand and this is the best way to kind of get this more into a rational conversation either this is uh, a very different system of time we're dealing with or this isn't as settled a science as they think it ought to be, because any scientist worth their salt, Christian or not, is going to have to acknowledge that the more we study something, the more we're going to come across things that we weren't aware of. And as the saying oftentimes goes, this is actually a quote from an atheist, uh, he said that the uh, endeavor of science is like scaling a mountain, and after having climbed the the heights of reason and the peaks of rationality and scientific inquiry, They finally reach the peak of understanding the underlying phenomena behind all things and then run into a band of theologians that have been sitting there for centuries. Mm -hmm. The reality is that when we look to our ability to observe things, our ability to study things, our ability to gather all the facts, that's what science hinges on, which was a system invented by Christians, by the way. But if we work with the system of the universe is ordered, the universe is designed, that we are thinking God's thoughts after him, as a famous scientist once observed, then the research of these things demands us to have all the information. We don't. We won't. We can't. Because we can't observe all known reality and consider all possible variables. We can do a good job. In working with what we have but when these scientists put together their models of distant starlight they're working in a system where of course a god is excluded we're working in a system where, of course, the supernatural cannot be introduced. So the dismissal out of hand of young Earth theory, the Earth can't be six to 10,000 years old because regardless of the dating systems of Adam all the way to Noah, all the way to Abraham, all the way to... and that's where we generally come up with the age of the Earth under the assumption, of course, that Adam was created on the sixth day of creation. So we use his date and time frame for that. That can't be the case because these scientists said this, but then you have to assume those scientists are objective, then you have to assume those scientists' worldviews are going to take into these things into consideration, you have to take into account they're playing fast and loose with some of the data to produce what their sponsors want them to find. Am I attributing motive or malice on these parts? Sometimes, but the point being made is that if we are going to have this debate, don't fall into sloganeering, don't fall into a dismissal, it all has to stand or fall on one thing. Did Jesus mean what he said when he acknowledged from the beginning of creation he made them male and female? Not at some random point well into, you know, the later stages of it where it would be comparable in our modern day if we're getting into millions and billions of years. We're looking at the age of the universe, we're looking at the age of the stars, we're looking at all these things and asking... I just don't know how all this checks out, and I can say I do, not a God of the Gaps theory, but the allowance of factors that I couldn't possibly know. What I do know, and what I can know, is that with Jesus's historically documented resurrection from the dead, he put his credentials on the table as the one who put this system in order Mm -hmm. and treated Genesis as a historical narrative. People who take it as poetic I challenge their consistency in their Christian life, if they call themselves that, and their dismissal of it, I wouldn't blame them for it if they didn't call themselves a Christian. Mm -hmm. But just to make this all clear, young earth or old earth, I personally hold to a young earth theory. Dave, Bo, you can perhaps uh, ostracize yourself in taking a position if you want. But the reason why I do that is because I take Jesus' words more seriously than that of these scientists, because I know what Jesus' credentials are. And more and more in this day and age, we have less and less reason to trust the objectivity of scientists, A, because they're not working with all the facts, and B, because they're discounting fundamental truths, which can be demonstrated outside of cosmology and historical criticism in that sense. If you assume there is no God, then the Earth has to be, because that's what you observe, all things just falling into place as they are but if we do assume a God who can introduce new factors like a known universe then he can also bend some rules and that's how I'd handle the uh, evidences on both sides yeah
1: and I think C uh, if you did a C it would just be that human beings are fallible and <clears throat> and what we you know if you if you go back 500 years people thought they had it together then yeah. if you go down a thousand years they had thought they had it together. Then, yep. and and it just continues. Every generation thinks it has it licked, yep. and it has the answers to the universe, right. and and yet something happens, and you find out they don't. Yep. Um, and so, I, I think uh, human beings' fallibility um, is uh, one of the main reasons why. Um, Even me as a secular, progressive, atheist kid growing up and uh, in that kind of education as well, you know, really doubted even um, my university science teachers because Mm. uh, the more you study, the more you realize that, you know, things are constantly changing and sometimes radically changing. And when you're talking about billions of years, we don't understand that. Billions of years? Like, how do do you even understand a billion dollars? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, a billion years? Um, You know, and we throw it out like it's nothing. So, um, you know, I agree with Sean 100%. You know, it's all about authority, who you're going to trust on this issue. For me personally, the earth's only about 51 years. Because I'm 51 years old. <laughs> so you
0: can Verify
1: that. So I can verify that. And, um, and I wasn't there back in those days. I wasn't there. I, I, didn't, I wasn't around billions of years ago. I have no way of knowing if that's true or not yep. um, at all. The Bible claims to be a historical book, mm. or books that are historical, I should say. Um, and again, it comes to the authority of, is it trustworthy or is it not? Yeah. Who, who, who do we trust on that? Right. You know, Jesus said it, it was true. Yeah. And so do we trust Jesus or are we going to trust, uh, a professor in college? Right. You know, and that's kind of what it comes down to, to yeah. me. And the um,
0: Bible says in the beginning,
1: God. Right. <laughs> but thing is, is for, for you out there, I mean, you're, you're only how old. I mean, the earth is only how old to you. Yeah. You know, you could talk about billions of years in theory all you want. You know, you could sit and pontificate forever. Well, the earth's 12 billion, the earth's 6 billion. There, I mean, you could do yeah. that <laughs> forever, yeah. you know, uh, but it doesn't matter because to you, it's only been so many years. And that's really the main thing right. is, you know, is you, yeah. is, you know, what decisions are you going to make while you're on the planet? Right. Um, and Jesus said you know those are important decisions that you make he said he's the way the truth and the life no one comes to the Father except by me that's an important decision to make at a particular time on the planet yeah that's right. <laughs> you know <laughs> yes, it is. so uh, yeah uh, if you want to pontificate how old it is well you know I'm not sure how how important that is in yeah. the grand scheme of things that's true
0: that's a good point yeah well uh, Katie thank you for your question i hope that helps you out on that another question i think this was from ken as well um for some reason a passage i read is stuck in my mind the master sends his servant to find a wife for him the servant says uh, the one that offers me a drink of water and also offers water to the camel she is the one there's so much about that that seems so bizarre and i think they're referring to in genesis 24 it's abraham's servant sent out to find a wife of Isaac, I believe. Yeah, we think
1: this is a guy named Eliezer. I think it's in Genesis maybe 15 that Eliezer's talked about, or or named anyway. Mm. It doesn't say in the text, though it is, but it could be. Uh, God is my help, I think Eliezer means, which Mm. is kind of neat. He's a helper to the Father. Mm, Kind of interesting, (laughs) a little bit in that, you know, uh, again, these are just interesting things to pontificate, but I'll let Sean kind of break down a little bit of the history here
2: yeah um we know who the master was it was abraham and we know who the son was it was isaac yeah uh the whole narrative behind it was as bo mentioned when abraham was without a son his heir was his chief servant eliezer But now that God had provided him with an heir, he entrusted Eliezer to make sure that this promise given to him by God, that through his descendants, he would not only become a father of many nations, but through that specific line, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And ironically enough, In Genesis 22 when the incident regarding the binding of Isaac and God telling him you're not to sacrifice your son that's not to take place in this nation I will provide myself a sacrifice he spoke prophetically we're told about how things were going in his family across the Middle East because remember Abraham traveled not from Canaan to you know south and that's just where he lived every now and again he came all the way from modern-day Iraq And in the Ur of the Chaldees, he had traveled basically hundreds of miles across the Fertile Crescent in order to establish a home where God told him to go. And it's also interesting to note he didn't make the full journey until after his father died. But we're told at the end of Genesis 22 that it came to pass after these things, what things, the Genesis 22 things, uh, it was told to Abraham, saying, Indeed, Melkiah also bore children to your brother Nahor, Huz his firstborn, Buz his brother, Chemuel the father of Aram, Chesed, Hazo, Pildash, Shilpia, Bethuel, and then Bethuel begot Rebekah. These eight Mokaiah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother, his concubine, name named Remua, also bore Teba, Graham, Tehash, and Micaiah. Now, why do I mention all that? Well, it mentions Rebecca as having some sort of like second third cousin status in relation to Abraham's family and we see this tradition upheld not just because that was what was available to them at the time but that's what was ideal for them at the time not because you know redneck mindset of keep it in the family but because at this point in history there was the understanding that you don't marry people you don't know that you don't trust, that you don't just immerse yourself in cultures that are going to lead you away from God. And what Abram knew, Abraham as well, he was renamed this at the time, but what Abram knew was, if I'm going to have a son, I don't want to marry just any girl off the street. I want to know no these No Canaanites. Yeah, I want to trust these people. I don't want it to end up like my son Isaac's son Esau is going to end up doing when he marries two Canaanite women and made their lives miserable. So that's an example of the wrong way to go. In Genesis 22, we note that Abraham received word that all of these kids were being born. Now note, several hundred-mile journey. That wasn't like an instantaneous text message, right? And I'm only mentioning this because if you run into Muslims, they'll make this accusation to cover-up that Muhammad married a nine-year-old by the name of Aisha and consummated the marriage at that point. They'll say, well, Rebecca was four under the assumption that at this passage of genesis 22 rebecca was born at that instant and isaac would have been in his 30s at this point Mm. so just leaving that out there Uh, sarah is buried in genesis 23 and then this event takes place in genesis 24 now again he sends eliezer out he's only referred to as the servant and notes that in verse 3 not to be among the canaanites but in verse 4 you shall go to my country that's why he's traveling. And to my family, and take a wife from my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Imagine that, even in biblical times, they had a regard for the woman, say, in the marriage. Remember that. But I must take your son back to the land from which you came. And Abraham said to him, beware that you do not take my son back there, the Lord God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and spoke from the land of my family, spoke to me and swore to me, saying to your descendants, I will give this land, and then notes another messianic prophecy and so forth. So if the working assumptions of Abraham are what? God not only wants Isaac to have kids, a lot of kids, but even more significantly, he wants these kids to be here. Otherwise, I wouldn't have traveled all this way. I want you to bring her back. You're not to bring him there. That would ruin the whole point. Why we made this journey, right? Mm -hmm. So all this is being set up, and what happens? The servant goes to, in this huge journey, to Mesopotamia, in the city of Nahor, and he brings his camels and all of the, of course, uh, interesting goodies that he brought with him that can be read on your own time, but he brought some jewelry for the woman as well, and said, excuse me, uh, well, a lot of human beings here, so how is this going to work? How do I know that after having made all this journey that not only God Wants me here, Abraham told me to go here, but that God has someone for him here. I'm not taking this lightly. So, interestingly enough, he says in verse 12, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. So, the lot of women, which one's the right one? And he says, Now let it be That the young woman to whom I say, Please let down your pitcher that I may drink, and she says, Drink, and I also give your camels a drink, let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac, and by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Now, this is an example of what we also see in the book of Judges with Gideon and the fleece. I don't have a Bible on me we're still writing genesis at this point right job might be in existence he lived at the time of abraham but the idea was that i don't have a lot to fall back on as far as direct revelation from you i don't know whether to look for rebecca there's more girls in this town from abraham's country from my master's country those were his instructions that's all he has to work with and he says what okay god if you're in this tying back to the previous point about providence here's what i'm going to recognize as being from you. You're the one who directs hearts and minds of men. You're the one who could influence her to say something specific that I'll recognize. If you're in this, if you're showing favor to Abraham, you call your friend, here's how I'll recognize my responsibility, my goal.
1: And you know what I find interesting about this too is Eliezer must have knew that how God worked, meaning he he, he, he was a servant of Abraham, mm-hmm. and he saw that uh, Abraham, when Abraham had these incredible visitations, if you will, from God, there was hospitality um, in mm. those visitations, which is interesting.
2: Yeah, a good mark of character. A
1: good mark of character. Mm. So Eliezer knows that what he does rely on is what he knows about God. Like, okay, my my... My master was visited by the Lord, and it was a very hospitable situation. Mm. Food, kindness, this kind of thing. So it's interesting that Eliezer says, and it says he doesn't even finish his prayer in verse 45, but he doesn't even finish his prayer, and he says, Hey, if, if it's a woman that does this kind thing... You know, because he knows that the Lord's, I think, ways are the ways of kindness. Right. So he, he sees that, you know, he knows that from his time with his master. Mm. And so he breaks this out off and he says, if she uh, feeds uh, my camels, gives me something to drink, feeds my camels. Right. So does this hospitality.
2: It'd be a good Hmm. judge of character. That's how he'd recognize this is a girl that probably won't get in trouble for bringing home. Yeah. Won't want to just marry looks. Cooking helps too, right? So Hmm. the idea then behind this is, was Eliezer being presumptuous? Well, we already talked about he didn't have a lot of written revelation yet about the character of Mm -hmm. God. He had experience with Abram, and later it named Abraham. But he didn't know whether or not, you know, it was supposed to be Rebecca, It was supposed to be, you know, um, Aisha or whoever else was around at the time. He asked the question, okay, heres I'm obeying what's been told of me thus far. If you're in this, then you're going to direct these things. Now, this is where we get into types of, quote-unquote, miracles. And noting that we see Rebecca fulfills the letter, the presumption to the letter. Uh, He said, uh, uh, can I have some water? And she says, oh, of course, my lord. And uh, why don't I get your camels too while I'm at it? Which would have been a very... (laughs) very out-of-your-way thing to do, yeah. because hauling up that much water, camels after a long journey, they can drink. But when we're noting unusual events, and you could note this out as, you know, coincidence, circumstance, well, I think there was a good, and this is, by the way, from Norman Geisler and Frank Turek's book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, when addressing the way atheists will just define miracles into irrelevance. Miracle is something that's impossible, right? Impossible things don't happen, therefore miracles don't happen. Well, there's six kinds of miracles they lay out that I think will help clarify this. First, there's anomalies, just things that don't usually happen that did. You can't attribute mm-hmm. it to any intelligent will. You could just note freaks of nature, physical things that interact with a per, uh, with a pattern. You could note an example that they give in this book is the bumblebee, You know, an animal or an mm-hmm. insect, rather that size that can fly. Not usual in nature, but there it goes, mm-hmm. right? That's a freak of nature, that's an anomaly. Now, would this be considered an anomaly that a good girl would be in a town? Not necessarily. There's a lot of good girls. The fact that. We uh, <laughs> hope not. Yeah, you know, one of them happened to be generous <laughs> is another issue altogether. But when we're asking, God's hand was in this, was he just taking advantage of a freak of nature? It'd be a stretch. Mm-hmm. The second would be magic. Examples of this would be like Adrian, the sleight of hand, which are human caused. Uh, The ability to manipulate vision or perception to make you think something happened when it doesn't. I don't think you can attribute generosity to magic that, uh, you know, Eliezer was manipulating Rebecca or any of the other girls and saying, hey, uh, (laughs) oh, camels, you look so thirsty. Can I have a drink? And and trying to manipulate them into that. Mm. That's not in the text. The third is psychosomatic, which is a way of saying mind over matter. This is mental, it requires some belief beforehand. Uh, psychos, um, excuse me, uh, psychosomatic cures are an example of this, yeah. where you feel mm-hmm. better when you haven't actually taken anything. They give you sugar pills and think that it was a vitamin and your body would react as if it was a vitamin. You have to have some prior belief. Well again, Eliezer could have had some prior belief, but he had no influence over Rebecca or any of the other town girls, right? That doesn't fit. There's satanic signs that uh, an evil power influences influencing these events to take place. Given how things went out, I doubt that. Hmm. We know that God was behind this and intending him to go there, not the enemy. We could know providence, and this is where we can probably rest our uh, tent pre-arranged events that are divine in origin. Mm. They are natural events, but they exist in a spiritual context. And the example they give, believe it or not, was the fog that blanketed uh, their approach at Normandy Beach, that very coincidentally, the vital operation in World War II to dispose the Nazis from Europe was covered with weather phenomenon, and mm. saying, that's lucky, but I think there's something else going on here. Yeah because there's an intent behind this as well. You could put it up to an anomaly, but there is a little bit too much of a coincidence here. Now, this anomaly would go into the realm of providence because it's already been explained in the same chapter that God has a mind behind this, that God wants Isaac to not only get married and produce children, but to get a good girl (laughs) to pass down good values to her kids, because we know even with a good mom, they had enough problems so yeah. the and then the last one of course is just an outright miracle where it's a divine act something that would be done for a particular purpose and in order to verify some specific message that god doesn't just do miracles because it doesn't happen that often that's you know Anomalies. It's not doing it because he tricked you into believing that's what did happen, that's magic or demonic influence. Mm. The mindset behind this is to understand, like with the casting of lots we dealt with earlier, God's acting on the basis that first Eliezer was obedient to Abraham's wishes, to find a good girl, not just any girl, not just an attractive girl even but someone who would be willing to come with him, that also had a heart for God in this situation, and that, of course, would be recognized by him, depending on God, who can influence more than just his mind, not magic, not persuasion.
1: Yeah, and and there's an interesting uh, um, trusting in God in this story, too, with Abraham. You know, Abraham says uh, in verse... seven of this passage that you know i uh it, when he says i will give you this when god says to abraham i will give you this land he will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for your son from there mm. and so it, it, it's tr- you know you see the the back story is abraham is trusting god for a wife for his son and mm. god promises abraham that just as me the angel of the lord who is with you hanging out I'm going to send my angel, and, and it's I'm going to take care of this. Mm. And so there's a, there's a word from God that brings about a faith in Abraham to step out and to say, hey, God has promised this. Right. God is going to send his angel. He, he sees Abraham's trusting what God has done in his life before. He gets a word from God that this is going to happen for your son, mm. that I'm going to send my angel, and it's going to be taken care of. And he sends someone who knows Abraham, he sends his helper to go find that person, yep. that special person, and uh and they're understanding that God has a call on this woman as well, mm. that this angel of the Lord is going to go before them and and draw this woman to Eliezer. And and so Eliezer is blown away by it. Yeah. You know, he's praying before he prays. He says, man, a woman came and did this. Right. And so he puts out that fleece, if you will, but he yeah. understands behind it that, you know, God is working. Mm-hmm. And and I put out the fleece because I'm just not sure how it's going to look. Right. You know, and so he says, hey, if she does this and if she does this, just some acts of kindness. Yeah. Right and some some real, not just acts of kindness, but a real investment, mm-hmm. you know, then he goes, man, I know that that's of the Lord, yep. you know, I've seen that kind of character before, right? you know. Yeah. yeah, it's
0: very, it's interesting, as you were saying, Sean, different kinds of miracles, and it seems like that last one is, it's kind of the most common one, I think, in, at least in my life, that I see these kind of, coincidences, you know, things lining up, certain things coming into play where we look for God just kind of ushering things in, yeah. you know, so they're not not necessarily miracles. It's not just like, you know, a, a house descended on my front yard, you know, like a miraculous thing, but, it, but a, a miracle in that you can see God like, man, this, this person at this time and this thing and this door opened, you're just looking for those kind of subtle hand of God, God moving in those kind of, you know, Miracle, you know, we call it a miracle because God is like intervening in it, but it'd
2: be more providential, like my dad getting in time right before all the COVID nonsense started for his surgery regarding his stomach cancer. That was a perfect timing, perfect interaction, perfect setup, perfect connections years in advance. And we're just like, Thank you. Yes, that that worked out nicely. I think (laughs) there was another mind behind
0: this. That's right. That's right. Which is, which is really, it's really cool as you walk with. God in those ways Um, great thank you thank you uh, for those answers and for that question Uh, question from uh, Lila and I believe if I'm right in saying these are actually questions from conversation with her brother I'm discerning um, who's who might be uh, a bit sort of uh, uh, skeptical Um, If a cure and prevention from cancer was discovered immediately and half the world went online or in person and bought it, would you take it or deny the science and trust God will heal you? Um, Same for like a vaccine from the common cold or a cure cure, uh, for the flu, etc. So I think really the question is, how much should we trust modern medicine? Yeah. You know, um, Obviously with the vaccine, with COVID-19, there was a huge <laughs> controversy. They were saying, I don't wanna put that in my body. Other people were like, you gotta put it in your body. And it wasn't um,
2: for spiritual reasons. Yeah. Um, again, this isn't really a Bible question, but if the caricature is made against Christianity, that people just pray diseases away, a. There's no biblical precedent for that. There are examples in James Or if anyone's sick, let him pray, laying on of hands, and so forth. He gives the example of Elijah, knowing the passionate prayer of a righteous man avails much, and then gives Elijah as an example. But when we ask the question, so the Bible's anti-science, anti-medicine? No, as far as they were able to understand and exercise medicine back then, uh, Paul gave legitimacy to them mixing in wine, a disinfectant, with the things that he was drinking for his frequent ailments. So it wasn't as if they weren't using modern medicine as they understood it, and we shouldn't now the question is whether or not we trust and verify. And even the gesture of verifying, like you mentioned with all the COVID stuff, wasn't the fact that it was a medicine, and that's anti-Christian, it's anti-faith. It was the fact that this was bum-rushed through a lot of necessary channels for the sake of preventing a panic, but because it was politically expedient for some groups, they just went through with it anyway, turned it into a cult, and then demonized people who didn't fall in line with the status quo. So whether it's Marxist assumptions, pagan assumptions, and the idea that, no, never take medicine, or the assumption of, well, you know, God will heal me, that's just as presumptuous because you weren't given that revelation. Just like someone who trusts God to open doors of providence for medicine to do its job, which he also created, which he also, in the mindset of, these doctors have been given, the opportunity to exercise a gift from God, which is intelligence and the ability to use medicine for his glory, whether they're aware of it or not. We Christians can, of course, trust that, because we trust that people made in the image of God, who does all things well, could do all things well. That's the first stat. But if, on the other hand, you run into these hostile anti-theists who say, well, Christians, whole group, are anti-science. Why? Well, because I saw this weirdo on the TV saying, I pray away COVID-19 and I cast you out Satan in the name of whatever. That's a, not a rule that we could also apply and say, oh, I saw an atheist that was gunning down Christians because they told them about heaven and ironically enough decided to send him there. I can Mm -hmm. mention names you could also say oh well I saw an atheist that I wasn't even actually an atheist but I'm just going to attribute that to anything because I don't like that particular group suddenly it's unreasonable suddenly it's unfair to judge a whole group by one or two or twenty irrational people yeah we need to ask ourselves what defines Christianity what defines atheism what defines atheism well it depends on the atheist what defines Christianity right here And if you're being told, well, it says here in James 5 that you're not to go to the doctor. No, it says to pray. That's a positive statement, it's not a negative. And we also have other passages, like his letters to Timothy, where he tells him to exercise medicine. Your move. But that's uh, caricature. Don't buy into that when you're into a corner, I guess is the best way to put it. If people don't like Christianity, that's fine. But if they're going to make up a fake Christianity and mock you in association with it, that's not cool. And you can hold them to that, too.
0: Anything to
1: add to that? I was thinking, like, a lot of like, you know, there's a lot of um, like, food is like medicine, you know, and um, and, uh, there's a lot of healing and just natural things, you know, that you can take. Um, which is great. And, um, you know, the Christian, the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to uh, think of our bodies in, in ways of, uh, in healthy ways, you know. Um, and so a Christian's always kind of pondering kind of what we're doing with our bodies and kind of what we put into our bodies. And um, knowing that we do live in, uh, on an in, uh, imperfect planet, and that our bodies are in a sense uh falling apart and uh, it's just a matter of time right psalm 73 says the heart and flesh will fail and that's true we know that but um you know so there's a lot of medicine out there already that heals us from many things it's amazing our immune systems and how Mm -hmm. they work every day to Mm -hmm. prevent us from having um particular sicknesses Mm -hmm. um And so uh, if, you know, I I love hypotheticals because they're so, they're just that, they're hypothetical. It hasn't happened, you know? Is there something where, you know, when you say, if science creates, who's science? You yeah. know, uh, <laughs> who exactly is that? It might, we are already might have a lot of cures for cancers. We just, we just are ignorant maybe of them today. Right. Um, uh, because of our quote, modern world, yeah. uh, maybe because of, because of our medicine world, we've kind of forgotten, uh, maybe what real medicines are that are available out there in the yeah. natural world. Yeah. Um, because we've gotten so involved in synthetic, right? but, um, you know, then again, I, I come from uh, you know Hollywood, a little bit, a little out there, a little um, you know, sometimes very <laughs> organic, you know, yep. and um, and sometimes you 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 know the hegemonical power structures in the science community mm-hmm. aren't ones to be trusted, right? And um, you know those kind of things. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, but yeah, it would be great, you know, <laughs> if cancer could be cured. Yeah, you know, and it, like I say, uh, you read some p- people's things and they. They strongly believe that the natural world has uh, already things organically that can help in a lot right. of these areas.
0: Right. Although it seemed like you mentioned Sean, I think that seemed to be some of the heart of the person asking the question that Christians believe we shouldn't have to take any kind of medicine or anything because yeah. we just pray. Yeah. a Christian you. said yeah. that. Yeah. Right. And right. sometimes,
1: and, and you know, I mean, I used to say though, I mean, when I when I was, you know, definitely when I was an atheist growing up. Um, you know, I used to definitely say those type of things to Christians. You know, um, I kind of thought yeah. they were in the Stone Age <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. But, you know, then you read a book like Timothy, right? And you read where Paul says, hey, take a little wine for your stomach, yeah. for your ailment. Right. You know, meaning take some medicine, take something that's going to help you. Yeah. You know, in your, in your body. Luke hung out with Paul. Luke was a physician. Right. He was a doctor. Go figure.
2: Yeah. Right? <laughs> Did Paul repent ha- ha- from his pagan ways? Yeah.
1: Paul had a like an eye problem, you yep. know? Um, he had an issue. And who does he bring with him? Luke. Yep. You know? With him. Who's Luke? A doctor. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. Um, y- yeah. I think these people in the Bible are probably a lot smarter than I ever thought they were. You yeah. Know?
0: <laughs> probably. Yeah. Probably indeed. <laughs> Uh, well, thank you, uh, Lila, for that question. hope that helps you out. Sounds like you've got quite a discussion going on. So I hope one. helps you with that. A uh, question from Yari. Why is it called the knowledge of good and evil in the Bible? What was that knowledge in the fruit? So the, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what was that all about? What was that knowledge? He's asked this question before.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, first of all, don't mischaracterize that and think that okay so god wants you to not have knowledge no he wants something specific to be withheld from them and that's what the knowledge of good and evil so adam and eve wouldn't know what was good well no they already knew god the definition of good himself by nature he'd mm. be the standard for morality so what would adam and eve gain from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil well, as the satan of adver- the satan That is accurate, but uh, the adversary, the serpent, advertised in Genesis chapter 3, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now we think that, oh, that's just intellectual awareness, right? No, it was the ability to decide for yourself good and evil. When we become our own gods, when we decide, I'm the ultimate good, I'm always altruistic, I know the difference between right and wrong, and society needs to catch up with me. Mm-hmm. That's the after-effects of that fruit. So when we ask, what was this knowledge, it was introducing one thing to the human race. It was evil. That's the point.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a. It might be good to... Um... You know, I was trying to think if there was a good book, because, you know, the question's so uh, deep. I mean, it's one of those ones where yeah. I, I feel like there's a C.S. Lewis book or, you know, that um, really would hone in on this. Yeah. What um, was the
0: beginning of all this mess? Yeah, <laughs> Pretty yeah. Pretty profound. And, and,
1: and it, might, it might be in near Christianity. I just can't think of the chapter right now Yeah. Um, that he kind of hones in on on this idea. But um, anyway, you might want to do a little research in C.S. Lewis. You might want to just pick up Mere Christianity, start reading that, see if it helps you a little bit too, just to just kind of get the uh, underpinning of, of um, kind of what's going on.
0: Mm, sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yari had, had another question. I'm sure we can squeeze that in. Uh, should we tithe? Should we be tithing as the church?
2: yeah to be brief um when it comes to what tithing was in the first place tithe just means a tenth it was a income tax for all intents and purposes that would support the administrative leaders of israel uh the priest in particular but also the king so when they gave a tenth of what they had and that was everything they would be doing so in the same way that we pay taxes since we're not under a government that sees Gods at its head and thus he determines the tax policy we don't have to tithe on the other hand should we give and that's something that can be self-determined and the answer is yes we serve a generous God and we should also be generous in Genesis or excuse me Genesis 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6 Paul makes an interesting observation in light of a gift that they had given that he refused to believe it or not. And he says in verse 6, This I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. That's using farming terms. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So, should we give? Yes. If we want to model the character of God, we should do so in any and every way we can. Generosity is one of them, not our ta- our t- uh, treasure, it could be our time or our talent. Mm-hmm. But the point of emphasis for tithing is maybe a good start, but in these expressions and attitudes of wanting to support, say, your local church, it should be done so as a get-to, not a got-to.
0: Very good. Guys, we answered every question that came in. Whoa, that's awesome! I mean, we're getting good and at this. And one that wasn't. I'm one that wasn't, yes. Yeah, so thank you, both. thank you. Yeah. Sean, thank yeah, you once fun. again. Uh, thank you for your questions. We'll be back same time, same place tomorrow again for more your questions. God bless you. Have a wonderful evening.
1: You've been listening to A Reason
2: for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com and be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.